First of all, I do want to welcome any of you who are visitors here. You are very welcome. If you come from another church, you're very welcome. If you're not used to going to church, you are especially welcome. And uh, we would encourage you to return as well. I want to begin with a confession before I read some verses from God's Word. Uh, The confession is I was down in Edinburgh this morning uh, recording, or not recording, actually doing live a radio program, and when I was driving back through Fife, it was glorious sunshine, and those of you visiting from America, it's always like this here in Scotland, and uh, it was just absolutely glorious, but I was feeling a wee bit discouraged for two reasons. First of all, uh, to be honest, I thought I was mints on the radio, and I was furious. She came in and said, oh, I, wish I, hadn't, I wish I could have said that and said something else. It's the things that were missed out. But even more so, it was a two-part program, and the second part I wasn't involved in, and I was, I was listening to it coming up the road, and I was just almost banging my head off the steering wheel. It was kind of a different kind of road rage going, this is just so irrelevant to the world that we live in. And it was from people who were trying to make the church uh, irrelevant. And i tell you what the problem is. If I said to you just now, well, you're welcome to church. And what I'm going to tell you about is we're going to talk about Glasgow Rangers. We're going to talk about um, one or two people who are already shaking their heads going, please no. Uh, We're going to talk about how the government should run the economy, and uh, we're we're going to talk about um, Chinese biscuits. You'd kind of be looking at me saying, well, unless you're a Rangers fan, what's the point of that, and why are we doing that in church? And you'd be absolutely correct. I'd tried to argue on the program that what the church in Scotland needed was to return to God's Word and teach the Bible, and you can see people's faces going, well, that's not relevant to us. How is that relevant to our culture? Let's take it in Dundee. Let's just put it right down to where we are here in this city. How do you go this morning to Fintry or to Charleston or to Kirkton and say to somebody who's living there, or you go out to the ferry or you go across to Tayport or here up in the West End, and you say, Well, with all the hassles that you're facing, with all the troubles that you've got, with all the brokenness that exists in your community and perhaps in your life as well, the Bible is the answer. What they're going to say is, just religion, it's just rubbish. Well, I hope that what you'll see, what we look at this morning, I hope you'll see that it is really, uh, really practical and really, really important. Now, we are going to be looking at... uh, Do I have the the wee beeper thing so I can move it on? No, I don't. Oh, I do, says he. Yep, I've got it hidden under my book. There we go. All right. Whoops. Uh. I'm missing a couple of them. Never mind. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And uh, let me just... I know that some of you who are Christians were going to say, okay, I can switch off because this doesn't apply to me. Let, let me explain why it does. It's on page 1177. We've been going through Ephesians. I'm skipping uh, chapters 4 and 5 because we're going to come back to them. But because of the occasion today, I want to look at this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Now, I immediately want to say to those of you, say, what does this have to do with me? Because either I'm older and I don't have any children, or I've never had any children, and that's a big issue. Or, um, you know, is is this, I'm single, and I may be single the rest of my life. Does that mean I'm excluded from all this? The answer to all of that is no. It is really, really important for you, for me, for all of us, no matter what our circumstances, I'm not going to be giving you a a how-to parenting class. I'm not going to be telling you lots of stories about my children and the wonderful way in which they've been brought up in an exemplary fashion. I am not going to tell you any of that because it probably wouldn't be true. But we are going to look at what God says, and it's written to the church, to all of us. And in the church, we have this great thing that we are a family And it does mean that we have a responsibility for one another. We have a responsibility to encourage parents. But we also have a responsibility to recognize ourselves that all the children in the church are our responsibility. When it comes to Nathan's baptism, we're all going to take a vow that we will uh, help look after Nathan and pray for him and so on. So I think this is really, really important. These verses, Paul repeats a similar thing in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. I want to suggest to you that these couple of sentences that we've read in Ephesians, if our society took them on board, if the church actually taught them, and if we practice them, it would revolutionize our society far more than any government program. I get really tired of politicians speaking about broken society and all the rest of it, and the, the solution, if you like, the glue to mending that society is here in God's Word, and it's just ignored. I get really even more tired I can't really blame the politicians so much. I blame it even more people in the church who uh, go on about lots and lots of different stuff but don't teach God's Word and don't realize how important it is. Personally, I have no doubt at all that if people understood what's being said in these verses, every single scheme in Dundee, every single housing estate, every single area, every single school would be revolutionized and would be changed. Now, the first thing to notice about this, and I do want to go into it in a wee bit of detail, so bear with me. The first thing is that Paul addresses the children. Why is that interesting? Because he's writing to a church, and he's writing to a church in a patriarchal society. He's writing to a church where men were considered really important, women half as important, and children, well, you could give or take. didn't really matter. Paul writes this letter, and he speaks to the children directly. He's following the example of Jesus, Mark 10, 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Matthew 18, verse 5. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, that was astonishing teaching in a culture where Children were generally considered a pest. Unwanted babies were abandoned or killed. A pagan, Greco-Roman culture and a culture to which we are returning. I heard a woman today on the radio. I should stop listening to the radio, shouldn't I? Especially on Sunday. And I was going down to Edinburgh and it was at six o'clock in the morning. I had to go down really early, so I wouldn't normally listen to this. 
And she was going on about how she was a single mum and bringing up children was dead easy. In fact, it was so easy that she had time to start up a third business because that's what she did. She said, you know, her child went into a nursery from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night and absolutely loved it and didn't want to come home. And everything was wonderful and everything was great and everything was easy. But most people don't see things like that. A lot of us, a lot of people struggle with bringing up children. It's not as, as simple. You can very often tell, we pray a lot in the congregation for, for those who are pregnant, and uh, we should continue to pray after they've had their babies, because usually they've got the kind of glacate look on their face, which tells you that two hours sleep would have been really good for them, but they really struggle with it. Well, I think we live in a culture where children are at one and the same times almost worshipped, and yet also regarded as a pest and an irrelevance. Well, Paul addresses the children. He says this, you obey. You'll not hear that often. What does it mean? In my head, from my childhood, there's this uh, image of the Daleks walking around going, obey, obey, exterminate, exterminate. It, it carries this image of, of some kind of cruel dictator. You will obey me. To which the obvious response is nah. And that just seems to kill it all dead. It's an old-fashioned idea, but it's a great idea. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? First of all, there is nature, natural justice. It has been the standard behavior in every human society. Confucius, for example, in the Chinese setup, taught that one of the most cardinal virtues was to obey your parents, and one of the worst things that could happen is to disobey. Romans 1, 28 to 30 and 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 2 point out that the mark of a degenerate culture is a culture in which children do not obey their parents. So it, it, it's natural, it's nature, it's part of God's law written on our hearts. It's also the law revealed by God. It is the fifth commandment. Traditionally in Protestant churches, or uh, I think in Catholic as well, we've divided the Ten Commandments into two. The first Four, two areas. The first four are meant to be honoring God, and the next six are about how we um, treat other human beings. But in the Jewish culture, the commandments were split five and five. And the fifth one, obey your parents, was put in with honoring God. Why? Because the honoring of our parents is our duty to God. We are acknowledging their God given authority. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. God says to his people, you've got to be holy and this is how you are holy. One of the things is very clear, very strong. You must respect your mother and your father. And in that passage, Leviticus 19, there was an extreme penalty involved. Paul uses a different citation from another part, and he points out the reward that occurs. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, in the Old Testament, under the kingdom of Israel, what's called a theocracy, the blessings of God were closely tied in with the land, safety, health, and good harvest. In the New Testament, I think that is transferred in different ways, 
but the blessing is still there. And I would put it like this. In societal terms, if you have a culture in which parents are honored, then you will have a far more socially stable society and a much more long-living society. But when we say obey, what does that mean? Well, in the New Testament and in the Old as well, obedience is the norm. Disobedience is the exception. In a passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees who were basically saying, well, mom and dad, I was going to give you some money, but the money I was going to give you is korban. It's a a gift devoted to God. So because I'm giving money to God, I can't give it to you. And Jesus called them hypocrites, using God's word to get out of their responsibility to their parents. There is a qualification, though. It is you obey your parents in the Lord. And that is, if your parents are telling you to do things that are contrary to God's word, then there comes a time when you have to disobey. What about when we grow up? Those of us who are growing up, are we still under our parents' authority if they are still alive? To some degree, yes. We still have to honor them. We should never neglect or forget them. It is a part, again, of a degenerate culture that older people are often neglected by younger people. And that surely is something that is wrong. I want to say also that it is this back to the in the Lord phrase. It is part of our Christianity. I've told this story before, but it's my favorite version of this. Um, And it did happen. I did a mission in Livingston. And we had one of those missions where the guy who was leading it was always asked the kids, and to me this is always wrong. He always said, how many of you want to give your lives to Jesus? Put your hands up. Well, of course, they're kids in a club having a great time. They like the guy. They're going to put their hands up. So he always had all these massive converts. Anyway, I got a phone call from one woman who was a bit upset. She had a 10-year-old boy. So I went around to see her. I said, what's the problem? And she said, it's my son. She says, he's that club of yours. He's never going back to it. I said, why? She says, well, last night I asked him, I told him to come and wash the dishes. And he told me where to go, and I'll not use the language that was used uh, in a church. And uh, she said, I was really shocked. He said, what'd you say? And he said, I'm not doing your dishes because I'm a Christian now, and I don't have to do what you tell me. I've been set free. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> that kid hasn't quite grasped what's involved. Actually, the mark of being a Christian would be she didn't even have to ask him to do the dishes because he'd be looking to see in what way he could honor and respect his mother. That's true for all of us as Christians, whatever our relationships, because all our relationships are transformed in the Lord. We should be no longer self-centered, but satisfied instead with Christ's love and grace. We obey with gladness because it pleases the Lord. Luke 2.51 says this about Jesus. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. If Jesus obeyed his parents, then we surely need to honor and to respect them and to obey them. For me, though, the most interesting part of this is in verse 4, where he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I don't think it's taking poetic license to say that uh, we're including mothers in this, parents, fathers and mothers, and obviously 
David and Izzy and everyone else. Paul here is concerned with how parents can misuse their authority. In our culture, more than half the cases of sexual abuse that occur, occur by parents or very close relatives. In the Roman culture, the phrase was used pater familias, meaning the father of the family has absolute authority. And that included in Roman law the right to punish, to enslave, and even to kill his children. If a Roman father killed his child, that was his right to do so. The state could not interfere with that. And in that culture, Paul comes along and the Christian church comes along and says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Now, we'll just see what that means in a a moment, but it's obviously completely countercultural to the culture it came into. Toby Young, writing in The Spectator this week, said this, Delinquent hoodies who steal cars and mug old ladies don't end up that way because their dads lack basic parenting skills. It's because their dads are largely absent from their lives. I think that's true. I really do. I think those who are single parents who seek to bring up the children on their own are to be totally admired in what they do and should not be denigrated. But it's difficult enough bringing up children with two parents. How much more difficult is it bringing up with one? And sometimes that will happen. But we should not live in a culture which lies to itself and says it doesn't matter if there are two parents or not. It actually does matter. It's incredible what, an, what, what some individuals do in bringing up children on their own. It really is. And as a church, we would support them and encourage them. But we're not going to encourage young people to go out and have children on their own and not as part of a family because that's just an absolute recipe for disaster in our culture. What we need is parents who are available for their children. And I, and I, and I do have to say this. The emphasis, I think, here particularly is on fathers. The notion that the mother brings up the child and the father's away is not a biblical notion, yet people equate that. That is not the case uh, as it is taught here. The Christian father is to be different. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, there are some of us who have a negative image of fathers because our own fathers did not treat us well. There are some people who are in those circumstances. And the important thing here is this. You do not judge God by your father. You assess or judge your father by God. And the standard that fathers have to have, the standard that mothers have to have, is the way that God treats his children. Human fathers, human mothers are to care for their families as God cares for his. It's a picture here of a self-controlled, gentle, patient educator. I think there's probably nothing that brings more guilt to most Christian parents or to most parents than the notion that I'm not a very good father, I'm not a very good mother. Well, 
hang on, there is hope. I'm not trying to put people on a, on a guilt trip here. But let's just look at a little bit about how that, and that's where this oops, quote comes in. Fathers, do not exasperate. This is John Stott. What we do know is that parents can misuse their authority either by making irritating or unreasonable demands which make no allowances for the inexperience and immaturity of children or by harshness and cruelty at one extreme or by favoritism and overindulgence at the other or by humiliating or suppressing them or by these two vindictive weapons, sarcasm and ridicule. Discipline and care for our children must never be arbitrary. Parents' love for their children is shown in helping them to develop their full potential. A child, you do not want a child growing up thinking that they can do nothing right. Everything they do is wrong. The child, when the child feels that, the child then cries out with frustration, which then makes him resentful of his parents and resentful of her upbringing. Behind this lies an idea very clearly taught in the Bible that children have a life and personality of their own. And from about day one, they're doing their best to let you know that. They have a life and a personality of their own. They are to be respected and they are not to be exploited, manipulated and crushed. We should not seek to impose what we want on our children trying to clone our personalities. Now, on the positive side, we are told we are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We are to nurture them, as in chapter 5 and verse 29, where he says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. What Paul is doing here, he's saying we are to nurture and care for our children. Calvin, who has a really bad rap as a mean guy, said some really, like, I was just about to say he said some really cool things. That's just awful, isn't it, really? But he did. He said some really great things. Um, And in this about children, he said, Let children be fondly cherished. Deal gently with them. I think modern psychology is right. Children are fragile creatures needing the tenderness and security of love. It's um, the black-eyed peas, where is the love and all this. Uh, Beatles, all you need is love, all that kind of stuff. I honestly think that when we do discovery camps and some of the kids who come on the camps, you know the thing that, that they need more than anything else is actually someone to love them. I will never, ever, ever forget the kid from discovery camp who we dropped off and as he went in the door, first time away from home, week away from home, 10 years old, so excited at going home, He'd followed Annabelle around all over the place uh, as Annabelle was in, in the camp. And he was just so pleased to be going back to his mom. He bought her a present with the little money that he had. He went in the door. I was standing at the door. He went upstairs where uh, his mom and her partner were in bed. And he heard these words of welcome. Again, I'll not repeat them in full. You can put the expletives in yourself. But what are you doing home, you wee runt? And it wasn't done playfully. Get out. And I just thought, that kid, that's just awful. It's really, really just awful. I am not excusing criminality. But if you bring children up like that, what do you expect them to turn out like? Children need the tenderness and security of love. And that's a parental responsibility primarily. It's never handed over totally to the church or to the school. 
I feel really sorry for teachers and schools who get hammered over and over again for not producing perfect society, perfect children. Schools are not there to socialize children. They're not there to train children. It's parents who are to train children. And that's why parents need to take time and trouble with their children. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if parents but gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of animals and flowers, the situation would be very different. They are to be given instruction, he says, Paul says. Verbal education, not non-directive. False education is indoctrination in which parents impose their mind and their will on the child. You will do this because I say so. You will think this because I think this. That's not education. True education is stimulation, recognizing the capacities and abilities and phenomenal abilities that these we human beings have. We have to encourage children to make their own responses and their own choices. We cannot do this if we leave the child to flounder. When I read, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, I can guarantee that there are many of you here who thought that this was a kind of command, obey, command, obey, command, obey. That's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here is parents love their children and care for them so much that when a command is given, the child will obey because they see they're in that environment and context of love. It doesn't always work out like that, but that's what we should aim for. And there's another word he uses there, the idea of correction. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I've looked at instruction. Training is this idea of correction. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11 tells us, I think I've got that. that verses 5 to 11 tells us that, that those whom God loves, he disciplines. And we have to do that to our children. A couple of Proverbs. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, let me say this. These are two of the most abused and misused verses in the whole Bible. This is not telling you to beat up your kids. It does not give the right to a father or to a mother to go and, you know, belt their kids and say, well, I'm doing it out of discipline. I'm not going to get into the thorny subject of corporal discipline, partly because there's nothing said about it in the New Testament, and partly because the rod of discipline does not mean a stick. It can include that. I don't object, and I don't think the Bible objects to parents who might slap their child on the hand because they're about to stick their finger in a plug, let them know. I don't think it did me a great deal of harm to um, be smacked every now and then. I really don't. But I think an awful lot of us as Christians get this out of context. What is important here is the discipline and how you discipline. I had two teachers at school, one who was absolutely awful and they used to belt everybody and we had no respect for him whatsoever. In fact, my funniest memory of school was the time we shoved him out a window and it was one of these Velux windows and we managed to squeeze him through. That was terrible. But we didn't care he was going to belt us because he was such a wuss he couldn't belt properly. But I had another teacher... Um, Mr. Patterson, who was our English teacher, and see how I still call him Mr. Patterson. I don't give him his nickname because we were scared of him. He had a voice of authority, had respect. Do you know this? He never belted anybody once. Not once. He didn't need to. He had that authority. Think that we need to have right discipline where we uh, care for and love our children and where there are appropriate punishments and, and just as appropriate rewards. 
The opposite of wrong discipline is not no discipline, but right discipline. Now, I have to say to myself as a father, what, is, what right do I have to say to my children that they need discipline when I need it myself? And that's where the character of the parents so much comes in. But Paul says, listen, you have to be an encourager. Don't exasperate your children. You're an encourager because the ultimate aim is that the child will come to follow the teaching and discipline of Jesus Christ. It is beyond shameful that there are many people who have grown up within a context of a Christian home whose reason for not believing is the Christianity they saw in their home. If there is any truth in that at all, it is shameful. And one of the reasons that if you are a parent, you want to be as close to the Lord as you can be is because your children will see the reality of Jesus Christ or the unreality far more in you than in uh, anyone or anything else. I think this is a great, great teaching from God for us. I think it is very, very difficult for parents to be parents, and we need to recognize that. I think the, the Disney view, if you like, of the world, of the cute wee kids and everything, it's not, that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that our children are sinners, and the biblical view is that we have to love them as God loves us. The biblical view is also that we are sinners, that we get things wrong, and that, you know, grace and mercy have to come in here as well. If I was saying, well, I only think that my children are going to be okay if I'm as good as I possibly can be. I'm making a rod to beat my own back that would be entirely wrong. It is precisely because I believe that God loves me and therefore cares for my children that you can live your life seeking to, to go in accord with biblical principles. If you are a parent, please bear this in mind. It's not wrong to buy your child a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever it is. It's not long, wrong to seek to give them as many good and pleasurable experiences as possible. But I tell you what is wrong is if they grow up and it's not in the training and instruction of the Lord. You are going to set them adrift in a sea of confusion and trouble, and you've not provided them with a lifeboat, you've not provided them with a rudder, you've not provided them with sails, you've, you've, you've neglected your responsibility. And I'm sorry, it's not up to the Sunday school, and it's not up to the church, and it's not up to the school. Don't expect Blackness Primary to teach your children about Jesus. I'm not even convinced that that is their job. I would like Christian schools so that children of non-Christian parents could be taught about Jesus. That's what I would like a Christian school for. Not so that Christians could hand over their responsibility for training their own children to others. We have that responsibility. And we all fail, but that's why we're together in the community of the church. There are many things that I would want to, and if you want to, you can and you do, uh, moan about St. Peter's and the church and so on. There are many things that we could point out that are wrong. But I am immensely grateful, immensely grateful that my children have grown up in a community of God's people where they were loved and provided for. And you know this, my two older, I said I wasn't going to say anything about my children, but I'm going to say this. My two older children, Andrew and Becky, grew up in this church when there were no children their own age. And it was a great thing for them. And why was it a great thing? 
Oh, not because there wasn't a crash and because there wasn't kids their own age. That would have been really nice. But I tell you what was a great thing for them was they had the involvement and the support of adults and others, people of different ages, different backgrounds, different groups, different classes. We do not believe in this church in the nuclear family where you come along with your kids, you go away with your kids. It's like just coming to a cinema or something. We believe that we're all in this together. Ultimately, the responsibility is yours as parents. But, and I don't mean this as a contradiction, but also it is the responsibility of all of us to support and help the parents and to love and encourage the children. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I want to finish with this. I think the ultimate of all of this, the ultimate of this whole parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, and so on, is based upon that of the ultimate father, God himself. John tells us that Jesus came so that we could be given the right to become children of God. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Remember when we had uh, the Watoto Choir here? Now, I really liked their singing, and I liked their enthusiasm and so on. The thing that struck me most, though, was how the majority of the kids who sang in that choir were orphans because of war, because of AIDS. And when they sang, I'm a child of God, it was with a joy and a life and a sparkle in their eyes that you would think absolutely impossible. When we sing it, or something like that, you know, it's like we're being dragged through a hedge backwards and it's like we're Hibernian fans on the day of the cup final or something. I mean, it, 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 we... we I don't think we really grasp just how wonderful it is to be a child of God. And that's what's on offer to all of us. Jesus came so that we could be given the right to become children of God. We need to know that ourselves, and we need to communicate that. And going back to the children in this city, there, the last time I saw the statistics, there were 35,000 14-year-old and under in this city, and only 5,000 of them had any connection whatsoever with any Christian church, never mind one that preached the gospel. Where are they going to hear? What do they need to hear? They don't need social engineering and control. They need to know that they are loved. And that love is ultimately only ever going to be really effective when it comes from God. And I, I challenge us all to think in that wider context about how we love each of the children in this church, but beyond this church, the many children who are growing up without knowing of the Father's love. Okay, we're going to pray, and uh, maybe the children could be asked to come back in. We'll sing after we pray, but let's just remain seated and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Bless it to us. Apply it to our hearts. There's just so much that's in there. For those of us who are parents, forgive us when we have failed in these instructions from your word. For those of us who are not parents, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be parents to the children around who are in such great need, to be conveyors of your love and your instruction.
we thank you that you've called us into one family. Lord, we uh, pray for your blessing to be upon the children, and especially we pray for those whose circumstances are not great. We think of the children in this city who may even this moment be experiencing neglect and abuse. We think of street orphans throughout the world, millions of children abandoned and left. Help us, O Lord, to show your love to them. We pray for the schools in this city. Thank you for the teachers, for the job that they do. Thank you for all who are involved and who work there. We ask again that you would bless your people as we seek to be salt and light in that environment. And we ask that you would help us now as we celebrate together and com- with uh, the McLeod family and uh, commit Nathan to you and bring him in to your church. Lord, help us as we do this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.